I've simply titled my sermon this morning, The Fatherhood of God. Now, I can't see the TV back there, but I'm, sure, I'm assuming the tech guys back there will just keep rolling forward as I go through it. Now, maybe I'll make mention of um, the different slides so that I know that they hear so there can be less confusion. My title is very simple. It's called The Fatherhood of God, and I could talk about earthly fathers, and I will at some length and some level this morning. I'll talk about earthly fathers. But the big scheme of things ultimately comes down from God. I also am very aware this morning that this can be a very difficult and challenging and painful topic, especially for people who've not had a good experience with fatherhood. Maybe you are one of those people that has a dark past when it comes to thinking of dad. And the word dad brings up and conjures up darkness and pain and hurt. And my heart goes out to you if that's you. But that does not negate the need or the fact that this is a reality in which we live. It's a good reality, and God has given it to us, and we must recognize it as that. On the other hand, it's also one of the most glorious and special things that happens in life, especially look at this little video that was behind us a few, just a few minutes ago. These, these kids, they thought the world of their dads. That's, that's, a, that's a dream come true. And the fathers in this world, they are the key part. That's my next slide. The key part. They're a key part of God's design for life that holds things together. You take that part out, and you take out a key part. It's like a piece of a puzzle. It's not complete without it. Can it function? So, yeah, in some level it does. But it's not God's plan or God's will that fatherhood is removed. It's all integrated. It's all together. And I know, again, um, I just want to mention again how difficult it may be for some people to hear this. Well, I don't know your situation. And none of us have had a perfect dad either. Anybody who thinks they're perfect is kidding themselves. For many people, the word father, as I mentioned, is a difficult word to hear. And on the brighter side, it's exciting and it's glorious. But in the big scheme of things, God has created fatherhood for us to experience how, how good life can be and how wonderful he's planned it. The image that I see is, a, and I found this, is a picture of a, of, a, of a male lion with his young little cub. A good father is a foundation of love, of wisdom, security, stability, strength, and protection. Everything the little guy needs, boy or girl, doesn't matter. And how this topic of father affects us is connected with how we've experienced it and still experiencing it in our lives. My aim this morning in the sermon is not to try to step on toes or hurt people, but just take an honest look at the topic of fatherhood and look at it from God's perspective, from a biblical perspective. What does God have to say about fatherhood? What does He say about it? That's really, ultimately, in the final end, the only thing that matters. God created it. It comes from Him. And it reflects who He is. Many times, Jesus referred to God as his father. And fatherhood is not an accident. It's not just, just that, we, that it evolved. It's not something that, that um, humans kind of thought, well, it would be nice if we implemented this system. It's not how it works. It's not a human invention. It's not something we can discard at will and kind of uh, just say, well, we don't need it. We can dispense with it. And I'm also fully aware that my responsibility as a pastor in preaching a sermon like this is a difficult job because of how the world functions, how broken the world is, and in how many places fatherhood is just viewed so negatively with such disdain. And it's true. 
In many cases, the fathers have not lived up to their standard or they've been, di- and they've been in a dysfunctional life and maybe even abusive and haven't fulfilled their role as a dad. And, and then to make it worse, it's being dealt with in a negative, wrong way, and that doesn't help. So our call as God's children is to reach out with love, compassion, and understanding and try to remedy, try to reconcile versus con- condemn and judge. And it's true also many times a child may be born into a situation where there is no love, there is no acceptance, there is no care, there's neglect, there's rejection, there's abuse. And then we have organizations, social networks that have to step in and and try to find help for those children. And children who are uh, doomed to grow up in a place where there is no care, they maybe become in some countries street children and so on, it's very sad, it's it's difficult. and, And we could go into a whole bunch of statistics, which I won't how difficult that is. But the reality is scientifically proven that from a social standpoint, um, a physical standpoint, a child needs a father figure. And then I hear stories of a woman may say, well, I want a baby. What about the dad? Well, I don't care about him. That's selfish. Every human child needs a role model, a male role model in their life, speaking in that strength, that confidence, that stability, that protection into their life. Every child deserves that. And it's selfish when an individual says, well, I want a baby, but I don't want the the partner there. One of the great needs a child has is father's influence. And when a child is denied that, that child is put at a huge disadvantage. It does not mean, however, that the child is doomed to a, um, a hopeless life. There are many people who've had a fatherless home. They come in contact with good people, with with people of moral character and moral stability and strength, and then they become the father figure in that child's life or in that individual's life. And ultimately, in the final end, every child must at some point in time make the decision, what path will I choose? The path that was modeled for me if it was bad, or the path that was modeled for me if it was a good one. When it comes to the human family, fatherhood is not an option, as I said, to be accepted or discarded. Fatherhood is not some minor add-on that we can take or leave as we please. I compare it to a paintbrush. Fathers give shape, variety, balance and form to life that we cannot afford to lose. Fathers are far more important than we may ever realize or give credit for. And as I said before, sometimes the biological father cannot fulfill his role for whatever reason, won't go into that. But if he's out of the picture, then another man can step in and take that spot. And again, there's much more to be said than we can fill in one sermon. And there's much training needed and so on. But the bottom line remains, every human child needs a dad. And the way the father holds the brush of life, the way he paints into the life of that child, will influence the life of that child long after he's gone, generations to come. What happens when a father is in the life of the child and that child receives the proper training, that child is put at a huge advantage. That child has a huge path open before him or her. That child's on a path where they can succeed in what God called them to be. And again, let me just say that every child must somewhere along the line make their own decisions. But we as a church community, as homes and as dads, we need to provide that the best we can. We have stories in the Bible, story after story, where fathers modeled good, solid leadership and some who failed. But there's one father in the Bible especially who modeled good, solid leadership. And I want to draw our attention toward this father for a little bit and then go to a different Bible passage and we'll spend the most of the time on that one. Genesis chapter 18, beginning verse 18, God is talking to Abraham and he has these words to say. He says, 
in Genesis 18, 18. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Can you, can you just see the, the long future ahead that would be tied into what Abraham would be doing now? It says in verse 19, For I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. Abraham was a father. Not yet. Well, he was a father, but uh, not over the son that he was going to be receiving. He was old by this time. He had had Ishmael through Hagar, a servant girl. It wasn't God's plan, but they did it anyway. And God said, no, no, I'm going to give you a son through you and Sarah. You're going to have a son, and he will be the promised son, and through him all nations will be blessed. It's interesting how Abraham was here being put up as kind of a pillar. He was kind of going to be one link in this chain. God says, I've singled him out, so he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord. What is a father's first and foremost responsibility? It is important that a father provides food for his family, he provides shelter, clothing for his family. Those are very important needs, and every father wants to and should do those things if the father does what is right. But the first and foremost need of a family, of the father of family, is what you saw in this little video. The father was praying. The moral foundation of direction and purpose cannot be compromised. It's a non-negotiable. God has created it so that fathers are made and designed for this. And the best way a father can protect his children and his family is by doing this. Praying for them, being that solid pillar, not allowing culture to push and twist and turn him in every which way. And that's hard. That's not easy for dads. They need prayer too. We as dads don't have it easy. I'm talking, who's talking, right? I could complain. But the pressure is so immense from the culture to push and shape and form us to its design, then the kids want it, and then we're torn between the two. It's up to us to stand strong like that lion in the picture I showed you. We have to stand strong. God's design is the fathers will provide the training, the guidance, and the directions, and the fathers need to do it regardless of what culture says. Let me say a few words to the younger generation. If you as a child, as a young man or woman, have a godly father, you need to thank God every day for that father in your life. He's a priceless treasure. My dad has gone, passed on many years ago, but sure would I like to ask him some questions if he was alive. I can't. And if you don't have a godly father in your life, maybe that's your lot in life. Maybe you don't have a godly father in your life. Look to God to fill that void. There are many thousands who could echo that. But there are others. There are men and women who fill the motherhood role, the fatherhood role, even though they're not the biological father. And you need to thank God for them. could be a Sunday school teacher. could be a foster parent. It could be a role model in the community. A godly model teaching and guiding and leading in that capacity. In this next slide, I have the picture of, again, this lion and the cub. And I simply wrote here, our children need strong male role models of moral character in their lives who they know they can trust to be there for them when life falls apart. And it will fall apart. There will be days and times when you just will not be able to make sense of life. And to have a godly father in your life who you know you can talk to or who you know will, will have has some stability in his life, that's priceless. That's, that's treasure. But undergirding all of this, underneath all of this, there's something there that I want to focus my thoughts on this morning. And that comes out of um, the Bible. I'll just make a few comments, then we'll turn to it. When Jesus came to this world, one of the things he wanted to do was teach the people who God is. God's a father. 
But they got it wrong so many times. Over and over again, they had to be reminded, they had to be brought back, they had to be, um, had to be shown again, and so on. And there's a story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. It says in the beginning of the chapter, which I won't read, but um, it says there, they were, they were upset. The people didn't like it. He's hanging out with the wrong crowds. He's accepting the wrong people. He's, he's welcoming the, the ugly ones or the sinners, the tax collectors and the drunkards and, and who knows what all. And Jesus shouldn't be doing that. Jesus is far too liberal. He's far too, um, we're strict. We're, 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 we're right. We're, we're solid. He's not. He's hanging out with the wrong people. And... Jesus had a, had, a, had a lot of work to do just to show them who the Father heart, what the Father heart really was like. And, and so in Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories. I'll just briefly summarize the first two, and then we'll go into the second one. The first story is a hundred sheep, the story of a hundred sheep. One gets lost, and the shepherd uh, goes after the one that's lost. He leaves the 99 sheep and goes after the one that's lost, and he finds the lost sheep. He celebrates because he cared about the lost sheep. Everyone was special, every single one. didn't matter whether lost or found, they were all special. The second story Jesus told was the story of the woman who lost her coin, and she wanted that coin, so she lit a candle or a lamp, swept the house, found her coin, and she was happy and celebrated because she found her lost coin. Then the third story, this is where we want to spend our time on this morning, the lost son. Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11, it talks about the lost son. I just want to make a few comments about this. It says here that, um, to illustrate the point further, I mean, Jesus has been talking about the love of the Father. Jesus did not tell the story of the lost son to tell the story of the lost son. He told the story of the lost son to talk about the love of the father. Let's get that clear. He wanted to communicate to his listeners, those listeners who didn't like that he was welcoming the bad people, he wanted to communicate to everybody, it doesn't matter to God who comes to him. Everybody who repents is welcome. Who they are doesn't matter to him. That's the father heart of God. That's what he wanted to communicate. So beginning verse 11, chapter 15, it says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. There's far more than we can cover in one half hour, so we'll just take the basic points. Again, the story is not to tell how bad the young son was. It does tell us that, but that's not the point of the story. The, the point of the story is to tell us who God is. The father had every legal right and social obligation to deny the son his request or his demand. In that culture, it was the right thing to do or the normally accepted thing to do for the father to kick the son out for making such a request. It still is. The father agrees to divide his wealth between the sons, not because of who the son is, but because of who he is. This was not about... What the son was doing is about how, what his character was. See, the son was rejecting the father. But that did not change who the father was. The father was a father who gave his son the freedom to accept or refuse him. Now, this son was not a little 10-year-old boy. He was a grown man. He was the younger son. And so the son took advantage of the father's generosity. Don't people do that with God today? God's blessing us with all these material spiritual blessings, and people use them for themselves. That, that's another point, though. And this is not to say sin is okay. We have to be very careful when we read these parables, how we read them, and don't read into them what they're not meant to communicate. But this parable is communicating the love of God to all people. These religious leaders, they don't like the story from the get-go. They don't like the story from the start. That father's doing it wrong. Kick the son out. Reject him. That's what they would have done. Let's read on. Verse 13, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. 
About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. I can just imagine these Pharisees, religious leaders, yeah, 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 okay, good, 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 he deserves it, he, he's got to come in, he's got to come in, okay, yeah, yeah, it's all good, he, he needs that. Sure, the son made some very sinful choices, not poor choices, sinful choices, he's rebellious, he's proud, he's arrogant, it costs him dearly, the Pharisees think, yeah, good, good, he needs that. At this point of the description of the son in the far-off land, the point is still not the son, it's just describing the paintbrush, what I mentioned before, it's just kind of describing what's going on in the background. The part of the story here is to tell how the arrogance of the rebellion has triggered his demands and has fueled his passions and the land at him in a far-off land. The money's gone, he has needs, and he's starting to be hungry, and he's feeding pigs. Pigs are just a disgusting, unclean animal in Jewish culture that would never even touch or go near a pig. This is what it has come to. Well, let's read verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. And this is where it starts turning. Verse 18, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. You know, it's amazing how hardship jogs the memory. Maybe it's not that bad after all. Maybe it's okay if I, maybe I need to change. Again, that's not the point of the story, but that's there. It's like, the artist is painting a picture. When artists paint a picture, they paint the background first, and then they paint what's up in the, in the, in the front of the picture. The background is almost done here, and this, this painting is, is taking shape. And this young son says, I will go back. I will go home, he says. And he's, I'm going to say I've sinned, and I just want to be a servant now. He will admit his sin. He will now start over. He doesn't even expect to be a son anymore. The problem is he doesn't understand the love of his father. He didn't understand him before, and he has the wrong impression about him now. So he starts the journey. And this is where the story starts picking up speed. It's, it's like the brush strokes are becoming sudden and quick across the canvas of time. Now the background has been painted. Now Jesus starts shifting the story a little bit. He's painting the foreground into the story, starting to paint the father into the story. It says in verse, um, the next part of verse uh, 20, it says, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He doesn't get to the farm. He doesn't knock on the door, and the dog barks, and the father comes out. He doesn't get there. His father's watching, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Pharisees are shaking their heads. Oh, this is bad, real bad. Fathers in Middle Eastern time didn't do those things. Maybe it's a village, and he's hiking up his robe and running toward his lost son. This is bad, real bad. And worse, he embraces this pig-smelling, tattered son, and he's kissing him. The son says, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's starting a speech. He wants to do it before his courage leaves him. He's just trying to... You see, this passage just drips with description. The son, all the arrogance, the pride, the haughty look, it's gone. He's been with pigs, smells like pigs, looks like a pig almost. What's the father do? He doesn't care. He's coming home. That's what matters. Nothing stops him. Do you think the son expected that? No. He says, I have sinned. You know, some, those are the most powerful words some people need to say. I have sinned 
Again, the story is not about that, but that needs to be there for the story to work. For many a young man and woman, the road to healing, to purpose, and meaning in life starts with those three words, I have sinned. Not I did because and I only did. No, just I have sinned. That's it. It's all the father wants. Father speaks up, and the son can't even get his story out. Father speaks up and says in verse 22, But his father said to his servants, Quick! You know this paintbrush is going fast. Bring, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We've been fat and we must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead. He's now returned to life. He's lost. Now he's found. So the party began. What's happening here? The son is being restored to family status. He's reinstated as a son the way he was before. This makes no sense. The Pharisees are now just shaking their heads. Unbelievable. Can't be happening. You know, I would just love to end the story here and just say, okay, and they lived happily ever after. I'd like to end it there and say that. That's not what happens. The party goes on. The older boy is not there. And there's a dark turn. Let's read verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father's killed a fattened calf. We're celebrating because he's safe, have a safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. The most dreaded words he ever feared would happen did happen. Your brother is back. Like a bomb explosion. He had never forgiven his brother for what had happened. He had hated him from the day he did what he did. He couldn't understand how the father could, could take the scoundrel back. If the younger son had come and the father had rejected him, and he had heard something like, yeah, you know who came to house today? Your younger brother, but dad told him to uh, take a hike and go. That would have been welcome news. But there's a turn in the story here that I want to focus on. The last part of verse 28 that says, the younger son was angry, wouldn't go in. And it says in the next line, it says, his father came out and begged him. That's what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. That's what he's telling his listeners. That's the father heart of God. And he's begging him to come inside too. But he has none of it. Instead, verse 29, the older brother says, All these years I've slaved for you. What? Slaved? You never, want, you never once refused to do a single... And never, I never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours doesn't even recognize him, comes back after squandering your money with prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. You can just imagine the dripping venom and hatred and anger from the older brother's voice. Blaming his father for not rejecting the younger brother. He's angry. Very angry. I've slaved for you. That's what he looks at himself. I'm a slave to you. You never, you always, that kind of language. What's the father do? Well, the father says in verse 31, Look, dear son, you've always been stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Maybe you wonder, what does this sermon have to do with Father's Day? I think a lot. The main point of the story is not mentioned. The point of the story is not the younger son. 
It's not the older brother. It's the intense love of the Father heart of God. So powerful that in a repentant heart, it just overpowers it. I want to ask us today, can we walk that path? That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And I'm not here saying use this story, this parable to promote anarchy and chaos and dysfunction in the home. That's not why the parable was written. Fathers are responsible to act with leadership and authority and guidance for their family. But where there is repentance and where there is contrition of heart, we have to... The father didn't go into the pigsty, okay? He didn't, he didn't chase him down, okay, I'm going to drag you back home and pigs and all. That's not what he did. He kept his heart open, loving him all the time, waiting for him to respond. That's what our world needs. That's where our focus needs to be. That's where our focus needs to be as a church. I've put this last slide up here. Model the Father heart of God. Dads, model the love of God to those who's entrusted into your care. It could be about mothers and more, but today I'm focusing on fathers. It doesn't happen on its own. It takes courage. It takes strength. It takes self-denial. It takes going to the cross to have the Father heart of God. I affirm and applaud every dad who makes it his priority to follow Jesus so that when his children walk after him, they'll say, I want to do as dad did. And may we not give up pleading with the self-righteous and holding a compassion to the lost. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for your stories in the Bible. They're powerful. They speak to us. and They teach us. Lord, this morning we've talked about fatherhood, the father heart of God. We've talked about how you love all people. Help us, Lord, to model and exemplify that in the lifestyles we live. May you give us strength and courage, Lord, especially to us as dads, for, for us to follow you and enjoy the role you've blessed us with. May we all together as your children walk in harmony and unity and obedience to you. In your name we pray. Amen.